0: Avatar, The Last Airbender, Book 3, Fire. For covering this book, we're going to talk about the very beginning and the very end, just so we can have kind of the progression of where our favorite character Aang has progressed from. In the first episode of Book 3, Aang awakens to himself weakened, his head full of hair and all of his friends dressed in Fire Nation clothing as they travel on a stolen Fire Navy ship. He is dismayed to discover the world once again believes him to be dead, just like when he was frozen in the iceberg. Sokka believes that this is a positive development since the Fire Nation will not pursue them anymore, and insists they should maintain the ruse as long as possible. Zuko and Azula are welcomed home as heroes, and Fire Lord Ozai makes his first appearance in the series as he congratulates Zuko for killing the Avatar and apprehending Uncle Iroh. Zuko realizes that Azula credited him with killing the Avatar for her own ulterior purposes. Aang tries to run away by himself, but is pushed to the brink of exhaustion. He is contacted by Avatar Roku's spirit, who tells Aang that he has inherited Roku's problems and mistakes, but he has destined to redeem Roku. He accepts that with the fall of Ba Sing Se, secrecy is their greatest advantage until the invasion, and gives up his trademark glider to the lava flows of the Avatar Roku's Island. So from this first episode, you automatically understand this is going to have spoilers for pretty much all of season three and all of Avatar at this point because, I mean, why are you even? Uh, you got to finish the Avatar to really jump in this. You know, this is by far one of the best shows I've I've seen. um, You know, anime based shows. I think I've called it an anime before. It's not technically an anime because it's an American television show, but anime styled television shows one of the best absolutely go see it so after this first episode yes absolutely you have got the feeling that this is the end game we are in some of the last few moments of some of the most important episodes before the biggest battle of the series now this um what does this have uh 16 17 18 i'm seeing i i think the last three episodes were kind of combined into one to make like an hour and a half episode so uh let me see there is a four-part ending which is like an hour and a half so i'm seeing 20 let me see one two three four so there was about 17 episodes 18 episodes and that last episode being um the long one um but yeah, overall, I'm like, wow, this absolutely feels like this is on a movie scale. Now, what my biggest critique was at the beginning of Avatar The Last Airbender was it felt so traditional uh, narrative. Let's go to a city, help these people out. Let's go to another city, help these people out. And then it became so much more than that. They were able to flesh these characters out and make uh, make me care about... Uh, people that are on the protagonist side and people on the antagonist side i think from the left to the right from the looks to the sound to the drama the the drama to the the different aspects the way that it's able to carry the tonal shifts of the humor it just feels so uh natural and it feels flawless in the execution like I can't believe that I overall don't have that many criticisms of this last few um, episodes that's why I kind of just going through a couple of the maybe the best scenes that I uh, I can find real quick because uh, personal stuff's going on for me and I'm I I didn't have a chance to really go through uh, this third season and Write detailed notes so I am just kind of talking about the broad aspects and maybe a couple of my favorite scenes um but overall from the beginning with him having a full head of hair you can already tell this is a different type of uh avatar Ang that we're getting I didn't even know if he could grow hair I didn't realize he was shaving it <laughs> I don't know why I just ultimately I guess I just felt like that was what was going on I wasn't exactly sure um but from the, the visuals that we see in this the uh the what is it the, the lion turtle thing at the end oh my gosh i was just like what is going on this is some next level um and him having to conquer the the chakras from uh, uh it's um it's got so much packed into it like i almost regret not going through this and having a little bit more detailed notes but overall i am just in in awe of how detailed this actual world is and i'm i've I've actually gone ahead when i was finished with this season i jumped into the legend of korra because i was just like i need to keep on in this world i can't stop i can't stop you know like i just i can't stop and so i uh i binged the first season of legend of korra and i I can talk about the Legend of Korra in a way that won't spoil anything from the Last Avatar. Yes, it's in the same world. It basically takes Avatar: The Last Airbender at the end of this, and um, and fast forwards time. It's like a fast forward of seventy years or something like that. And I believe there is comics that take place in between. Uh, the two shows to kind of fill in the blanks of what's going on i think it was called the promise the search the rift smoke and shadow north and south and imbalanced comic trilogies um and then cora followed that after that so yes this this show specifically was um uh just so much fun to watch on so many different levels um Even when it comes down to learning some of the more uh, intimate stuff, the type of energy bending and um, different types of uh, element bending down to the different types of subsections like earth can bend metal and stuff like that. I just loved learning more about these different types of elements. I was just like, this is baller. Episode two Aang and his friends steal some clothes to hide in plain sight while travelling in the Fire Nation, but Aang is accidentally taken to the Fire Nation school. He hides his tattoos with a f- headband, long sleeves, and learns the Fire Nation pledge of loyalty and must maintain his cool upon hearing the propaganda about the death of airbenders, which that sucks. He organizes a school wide dance party a foot loose, a foot loose kick off your airbending shoes. Meh, meh, meh. <laughs> uh, so a school-wide dance party for the uptight Fire Nation kids. When the uh, principal arrives to shut it down, shut it down. No foot loose, no air bending loose. The kids help Ang escape. Uh, a form of movement similar to caperia is shown as a Fire Nation traditional dance. Meanwhile. Zuko becomes increasingly paranoid that Aang is still alive and hires an assassin to kill him. So this is the assassin with the guy on the eye. He's like, um, I noticed this episode was very much in the vein of like a, uh, it felt like a John Hughes movie or something like that, where Aang, it's not so much about the bending or the, the, the show too much. It's more about uh, the characters interacting and kind of growing into their own. Because this season definitely is talking uh. To the kids that have kind of grown up with this, I mean, if they were watching this, let's just say they were ten years old when they started the the show. They, or, or I guess they weren't probably ten years old if it was a two. Oh, so it says two. Did I, didn't I say it was two thousand five? I think I said it was two thousand five. So the kids that were watching it, I mean, if you think about it, a kid watching Avatar the full series and they had just turned uh like ten or something like that. Re- almost relatively this could have been on for a fourth of their life and so they are learning a lot of things i mean you really don't think about like kids shows in perspective of how long they're on television how long you actually grow up with these um characters and, and um stories um but yeah i mean for years um if you think about it from a kid's standpoint i mean they're with them so much longer in perspective to the time that they've been alive. I mean, you know, like it, if you had think thought about like watching Avatar when you were like seven or eight, and you had grown up with it, you, that's almost half your life. Um, you know, like three or four years. So um, yeah, it is important to have these kind of episodes that um, you know give kids an insight. On uh you know preteens and stuff like that, and teenagers and you know growing up and whatnot. I don't know. I, I should like I said I should have wrote this down. <laughs> I should I, I have had this all written down. Stick to the script. Um, let me see. Gang runs. Guitar. So, chapter three: the painted lady. I actually did like the Painted Lady. It's not one of those episodes that feel super imperative to the overall story arc, but it does feel like it's kind of of that first season, second season um making uh, you know, making good with uh, the townspeople or, or or helping people in order to um, you know, bring them food help them help the poor, help help the needy kind of thing. and it overall, Um, is quite a beautiful episode, just from the artwork itself with the painted lady and how Katara is interacting with her the entire time, and then at the very end when she actually meets the real painted lady. Um, yeah, I absolutely, uh, really, really dug it, and I feel like we've seen this, uh, we've seen this kind of storytelling before. You know, you have uh, a town or group or family that is in need. They have an enemy as well but their enemy actually ends up being the ones that are helping them aka i think zuko had this kind of similar episode uh you remember when they didn't know zuko was part of the fire nation or something like that and uh, he was trying to help that little boy and then as soon as they found out he was from the fire nation they turned on him and this the almost the exact same thing with katara because they find out that she's the painted lady so um you know they they eventually um i think they eventually say it's okay but i you know overall we've seen this kind of uh story before um let's see um so yeah when um ang loses his uh i, I don't remember what is his flying thing what is oh, now people are going to flip on if i don't find this th- Oh, the glider, sorry. I, I thought the glider had like a, a, an official name of some sort, I don't remember. But anyways, when he gives up the glider, it's like, wow, this does not feel like the same airbender at all. Um, so the first few episodes are very much kind of like uh, getting us in the headspace of where all the characters are going and how they're feeling towards uh, Susan's comment, which is coming up pretty soon. Um, Sokka has felt isolated in Chapter 4 as the only person in the group unable to bend, determined to increase his usefulness to the group. In the war effort, he seeks out Fire Nation Sword Master Pandio while maintaining his assumed Fire Nation identity. With persistence, he convinces the Master to take him on as a student. Pandio teaches Sokka the philosophy of swordsmanship by giving him various seemingly boring tasks like painting and rock gardening. It's kind of like the... Uh, Karate Kid methods. The um, sword master also helps Sokka forge his own sword, and Sokka chooses to, to use pieces of a meteorite he found for the material. When Sokka gains Pandia's respect, he becomes ashamed of representing himself and divulges he is not from the Fire Nation, but the but the Southern Water Tribe. Pandio challenges Sokka to a duel. Praising Sokka's fighting strategies along the way, Pandio finally reveals that Sokka's identity has been readily apparent from their first meeting and that the ways of the sword belong to all nations. Um, I just want to say and point out that all of the different nations have different eye colors, so I don't even understand why he would pass for anything. I don't feel like it would be possible for any tribes to pass as anybody because everyone has the eye color of their tribe, so it's like, uh, <laughs> you know, um, he gives Sokka a white lotus pie, show tile, as a farewell gift. Meanwhile, Iroh devises a plan to escape his Fire Nation prison, and while fiending the part of a broken and humiliated wretch for his captors, secretly begins an intense training regimen to further build his strength. Um, at the end of the episode, Sokka gives Toph a piece of the meteorite. She bends to create the Nickelodeon splatter shape. Oh, I didn't even I didn't even see that. I guess that all of the credits and stuff are just cut off off the end of Netflix, which sometimes I don't exactly like because I honestly enjoy hearing some of the music and kind of uh, reminiscing or you know like not you know soaking into the tone and the feel of the show right after it. Chapter Five: The Beach. Originally, I was like, I'm not gonna go through each of these episodes, but this is an episode I find important. Zuko, Azu, Azula, Mai, and Ty Lee go on a forced vacation to Ember Island while their father meets with his advisors. Zuko and his and the girls attend a party where Azula tries to flirt but scares guys away with her intense, violent temperament. Zuko, who has resumed a romantic relationship with Mai, observes a boy flirting with her and destroys a in anger. Prompting Mai to tell him off. Later, around a campfire, Ty Lee reveals that she is so outgoing because she has grown up with six identical sisters and hated it. Mai reveals that her parents required that she always keep her emotions subdued and act properly, and that is created this cold persona she feels she must always protect to others. Zuko reveals that he hates himself because he is unsure of the difference between right and wrong anymore. Azula reveals that she knew her mother thought she was a monster. The group then bonded and end the night by returning to a party and trashing the house. Meanwhile, Team Avatar are attacked by Zuko's assassin, who is... an unusual form of firebending by creating power localized explosions from a third eye in the center of his forehead the group narrowly escapes on Appa but Katara mentions her belief that the assassin knows where they are so this was kind of the same uh spectrum of the previous episode with them having the um you know the footloose episode I was talking about when they uh arrived at the Fire Nation school, and they're told not to do the dance and not to have the fun. This is kind of in that same realm, but I feel like this one's a lot more fleshed out in a way because we get better reactions, or not better reactions, we get really interesting reactions um, and background and story to the antagonist uh, uh, supporting characters. I mean, this is what makes this uh, the show that much better, is because they sit down and take the time to show what's going on, and explain why these characters are so eccentric, or so, um, they explain why they are why they are, and so I, you know, I can't praise them any more than that, just either visually showing, or having them explain it to, you know, the group, just so that we can understand, it's like, okay, that's why some of them are a little bit extra, and some of them are a little bit, uh, a little bit, more internal but overall it's episodes like this that i'm like okay so we're getting some background and it's not just uh story 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 plot 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 there is some character growth in chapter six the avatar and the fire lord we learn all about the background of avatar roku and fire lord sozen's Aang and Zuko both learn about the former's childhood friendship. Sozin suggested to Roku that the Fire Nation should control the destiny of the entire world to ensure universal prosperity. As Roku was the Avatar, he knew the importance of balance between all the people and disagreed. When Sozin later conquered an Earth Kingdom, Roku swiftly defeated him in battle and threatened to kill him. If he stepped out of line again. 25 years passed until Roku's volcano island home erupted ferociously, causing Sozin to travel a 100 miles to help his old friend. At the last moment with Roku overcome by volcanic gases, Sozin realized that he could set his plans in motion if he let Roku die and abandon him. Roku passed on and was reincarnated as Aang. Shosen states that he knew that the next Avatar in the cycle would be an air nomad, leading to the destruction of the air temples, but noted that Aang had eluded him. Confronting Iroh in his prison cell, Zuko learns uh, that Avatar Roku was his mother's grandfather. What? Wait, what? (laughs) Well, hold on. Confronting Iroh in his prison cell, Zuko learns that Avatar Roku was his mother's grandfather and his father's grandfather obviously being Fire Lord Sozin Iroh states that that symbolizes the battle within Zuko himself to restore balance to the world Aang meanwhile discusses with the group that Fire Lord Ozai and the Fire Nation have been treated like they have been given a chance despite the war so <clears throat> Even with watching the majority of these episodes twice, I did not catch that. Like I said, I don't know many kids watching this. I don't. I don't know any kids actually. But I don't know many of my friends that watched this when they were younger, um, and caught that. But oh my lanta, that is a revelation, isn't it? I mean, that is some interesting background history with some of the most interesting supporting characters like i said this is i think what this show continuously proves is that the supporting characters are just as important as the main characters because there really are no um supporting characters everyone's part of this main storyline and gets the right amount of writing that helps explain who they are as a person and somehow it's done brilliantly between you know having really tough scenes between uh family members or you know slapstick comedy and i think 99 percent of it works phenomenally i'm just blown away and uh you know learning about avatar roku and fire lord sozin in this is just adds you know uh that much more depth to the story Chapter Seven: The Runaway. Katara expresses her disapproval when Toph and the boys begin scamming Fire Nation street gamblers for quick cash. Toph thinks Katara is acting too motherly, and a rift forms between the group, similar to what happened in se- the beginning of season two. When did Toph join? Whenever Toph joined, there was kind of some there was a rift between her and Katara again. Um, the rift be- forms between the group. Sokka finds a wanted poster of Toph overhearing. After overhearing Sokka and Toph dis- discuss Katara's motherly instincts after the death of her own mother, Katara decides to pull a scam with Toph to patch things up. Katara plans to turn Toph in and collect the reward money. It's all a big kind of ruse of like what happened. I think it, they showed this at the beginning of the episode so it's like wait why is what's happening and then they do like a flashback. Um, with Toph bending her way out of jail the plan fails when Toph is placed in a non-bending wooden cell, which they should have known that, soon followed by Katara at the hands of Zuko's assassin. He uses them as bait in an attempt to kill Aang, but Katara brilliantly uses her own sweat to waterbend herself and Toph out of jail. The group subdues the assassin long enough to escape the town, with Sokka naming him Combustion Man, I forgot what they had called him. I I, I forgot how much I like Toph. Toph feels like a much needed character. They do, they do not have a Toph in uh the Legend of Korra season one, in my opinion, because she's just uh, kind of a firecracker. You never really know what she's gonna do or say. Um, this was a fun episode to watch. It doesn't feel as important to the overall sc- scope and the scale, but I was just like blown away from uh the action again and how smart. Um. They're always reinventing ways of uh, bending, and you know where, how to bend, what you can use to bend, and you know sweat's like okay, might as well. Chapter eight: The Puppet Master. The gang discovers that there has been a strange disappearance in a Fire Nation town during the full moon. They befriend an elderly innkeeper named Hama, who reveals that she is a waterbender from the Southern Water Tribe, who has been taken away sixty years previously alongside her fellow uh, waterbenders. She becomes Katara's mentor and shares her own tragic story of her life as a longtime prisoner of the Fire Nation, as well as new waterbending techniques, such as pulling water out of thin air or plants. Katara later discovers that Hama is enacting her revenge by kidnapping Fire Nation civilians with bloodbending a dark sinister waterbending technique which manipulates the water in someone's body to cause great pain and take over their actions. Katara battles Hama while while Toph, Aang, and Sokka continue to rescue the captives. Katara is eventually forced to use bloodbending on Hama and save Aang and Sokka after being arrested by the villagers. Hama congratulates Katara on learning bloodbending cackling as she's led away a horrified and saddened Katara cries while Aang and Sokka comfort her so this was chapter 8 the puppet master this is perfectly what it should be called because when they go into this bloodbending technique it looks like they are using puppet uh puppet techniques to to choose what they're having the person being bent do so this is by far one of the uh most eerie episodes of the avatar i think there are episodes that are definitely you know more sad there's some that have more tone to them but this has such a dark and sinister feel throughout the entire time hama is on screen and she may not be saying really anything that Uh, horrible at the time, but the way that they have the artwork and they're shooting her really low in this dark, creepy woods. um, Yeah, it it was absolutely horrifying. And to see the technique of bloodbending being introduced just now in episode uh, eight, like with only a few episodes left to go in the the final series, it's like, wow, this could have been really impactful being shown earlier. But like I said, they are continuously holding elements on their chest like holding the cards to their chest because I don't want to show all these different crazy techniques and this is one that they were saving for the last uh, some of the last episodes and I was just blown away I was like this is scary as hell and uh, without saying any more about it I'll continue chapter 9 nightmares and daydreams the group arrive at the rendezvous point for the invasion within four days to spare. The revelation causes Aang to feel increasingly nervous about confronting the Fire Lord after having a nightmare about a failed invasion. Aang feels he isn't fully prepared and sacrifices his sleep insanity in order to train. After three days of no sleep, it takes the collaboration of Sokka, Toph, and Katara to get him to finally trust his preparation. And feel confident about facing the Fire Lord Ozai. Meanwhile, Zuko enjoys time spent with Mai and a pampered lifestyle in his palace, but becomes anxious upon learning that Azula has been invited to an upcoming war meeting while he is not. Not wanting to show up uninvited, Zuko decides not to go, but is ultimately requested to attend with a seat at his father's right hand. He confines in Mai afterwards that it was what he always wanted, but didn't feel like himself so like I said this has enough episodes in this series to show us the struggle between Zuko I do feel like he goes back and forth good and bad good and bad I mean he's right now having Aang trying to get trying to kill Aang at this point but like I said it's it's in a way that he's still conflicted. He is absolutely still conflicted, and he he got exactly what he wanted, with the exception of having his uncle Iroh in jail. Like, he got exactly what he wanted, and he's still not happy. Chapter 10, Day of the Black Sun, Part 1, The Invasion On the day of the solar eclipse, many allies featured in previous episodes, such as Haru and his father, the Swamp Benters and the Mechanist, and his son Teo reunite with Team Avatar to launch the invasion of the Fire Nation. This is what I really loved about them bringing all of our favorite characters from the previous two seasons and a little bit of this last season on um, back here. And we just... This is straight up Avengers Assemble. Like, this was Avengers Assemble before Avengers was even a thing. I was blown away by the... uh, the fact that they were able to pull all of these characters that I thought were just one-offs. like I was like, okay, we're never going to see those swamp people again. Okay, we're never going to see the mechanic and his his son again. But all of that ended up coming back. And the thing about it is all of those characters bring kind of their own aesthetic too because I forgot how much the mechanic is... um, He brings so much of the steampunk vibe. I I honestly forgot about it um, when I had... Uh, flown through it but even just kind of reoccurringly thinking about it i'm like oh yeah this is still like uh seven you know late 1600s probably 1700s and uh yeah and they're they've got like balloons and shit like that air uh, hot air balloons and stuff like that and so uh it's cool to see the the tech they have in the avatar series and how it grows um meanwhile zuko leaves a letter on my on a letter to Mai on her bed and tells uh, a portrait of his mother that he is going to set things right. He grabs his broad sword and a bag and heads out the door, back with the invasion force, who are relying on several forms of bending in aqu- aquatic vehicles designed by Sokka, then engineered and constructed by the mechanic. They successfully circumvent several layers of Fire Nation defenses, and reach the capital shores where they begin a grueling assault towards the palace under constant onslaught, onslaught from Fire Nation forces which I love the scale of how big things are in the series like you, you can see how small the uh the ships are compared to some of the uh, the massive uh, pieces of art I think there's like a Fire Lord Sozai um like massive piece, uh, I don't know what what is that called. It's just like a massive stone piece of him, I guess. When you're entering the Fire Nation, and it's just like humongous. And when they have these massive, um, what is this? Flaming, uh, what is it called? Massive flaming, uh, ropes come up beside it. It's just like incredible to watch um so yeah ang reaches the fire lord's palace only to find out no one is present in the entire city he returns to his friends where they realize that the fire nation knew about the invasion they all debate whether to try and locate ozai's secret hiding place or to retreat avoid possible capture ang ultimately decides that he has to try and confront ozai um Chapter 11: The Day of Black Sun, Part 2: The Eclipse. As the eclipse begins, Saka Aang and Toff search for their Fire Lord in the underground bunker, only to find Azula failing to apprehend. Only to find Azula failing to apprehend her, while having to deal with her personal dali agents. Elsewhere, Zuko confronts his father, finally de- denouncing Ozai's treatment of him as cruel and abusive. Zuko tells Ozai that he's realized what an amazing lie the Fire Nation justification for the war is, and that he knows his own destiny does not involve killing Ozai, leaving that responsibility to Aang. Meanwhile, Sokka finally deduces that Azula is simply trying to outrun them until the eclipse concludes, telling Aang and Toph to walk away but Azula triggers Sokka by mocking him about Suki's imprisonment, causing Sokka to attack her for information. Back in the throne room, as Zuko begins to leave with the eclipse still in effect, Ozai stalls him by revealing what happened to Zuko's mother. She found out that Zuko's grandfather, Fire Lord Azulon, had commanded Ozai to kill his only son as punishment for Ozai trying to circumvent Iroh's birthright to the throne following Lutin's death. Like what kid's gonna understand anything? <laughs> Ozai banished her as a punishment for treason, as Ozai finishes the tale, the eclipse ends. And he attacks Zuko with lightning. I love the artwork on this shit. Holy shit. Zuko redirects it back at him using the technique talked by Iroh. And, re- and runs intent on freeing his uncle. However, Iroh has already escaped from prison by the time he arrives. The Fire Nation surrender surrender, and, and be captured. Oh, wait, wait, sorry. I, I skipped a line. Intent. However, Iroh has already escaped from prison by the time he arrives. The Fire Nation counterattacks with an advancement fleet of airships. The exhausted, diminished invasion force has no choice but to surrender and be captured. At the urging of his allies, Aang flees with his friends to the Western Air Temple. Zuko follows them in a stolen war balloon. So this was a fucking crazy last few episodes, I'll be honest. I was completely befuddled by the fact that they were trying to stall the entire entire time until they were like, Oh yeah, he's trying to stall I was like, Oh yeah, of course. Um so I I really love the background information. Like like I said, there are no small parts in this series. Like we're constantly getting information about almost every character we get. We kind of get just like of uh, they every character feels like a fleshed out person, in my opinion. Um like the majority of them are just really relatable in a way that you kind of understand where they're coming from. Um, even the per- protagonists have some uh, not-so-great things about them, and some of the antagonists have some uh, some good things about them. So it, it goes back and forth. Uh, chapter 12, The Western Air Temple. Zuko follows Aang and his friends to the Western Air Temple, seeking to join their group there. Zuko desperately tries to prove to them that he has changed for the better and wishes only to atone for his past mistakes, which I'm like, dude, you've got so much atoning to do. <laughs> He's uh, initially met with complete resistance through uh, complete resistance, though after Zuko leaves, Toph challenges the rest of the group for dismissing him so quickly when Aang is in desperate need of a firebending teacher. Which completely makes sense, but I mean that he did try to kill him for a long time. Toff eventually decides to go and speak to Zuko herself, but she startles him in his sleep. Zuko accidentally firebends her in and burns her feet. Toff crawls back to the temple for help, where Sokka decides where they are going to have to go after Zuko in retaliation. Um, which is completely fair. I mean, it, it, it sucks that that's how the uh, the n- negotiations were going down at first. Um, Team Avatar is nearly blown up with the arrival of Combustion, Combustion Man, but Zuko affects his aim just enough to spare them. Sokka eventually defeats Combustion Man by hitting him in the third eye with his boomerang, causing Combustion Man to blow himself up. After afterward, while the group does not does allow Zuko to join them, an embittered and skeptical Katara reminds Zuko of his past. Slip up in bossing, say she threatens that if Zuko gives her one reason to think he might hurt Aang, she will destroy him. The episode ends with Zuko sadly pondering Katara's threatening words. And so, I feel like half the episodes of Zuko is sadly pondering someone's words, I guess. <laughs> but, um, she's not wrong. The dude's fucking insane, and he's changed sides more times than I can count. And I wouldn't trust him as far as you can throw him. The dudes lighting people on fire left and right, um, yeah. I, I it would be hard to believe that he would just want to be good all of a sudden, considering how well the Fire Nation was treat was was sorta of treating him in some of the episodes. Of course, they don't know that, um, but I don't. I just don't know if they see how bad the Fire Nation was disrespecting him for the longest time. I don't know. They us as us. As the viewers obviously understand Zuko's past and are still trying to un- understand his struggles. But them, it's totally understandable why they wouldn't want to. Trust him. Well, I keep looking to see if I can skip any of these episodes to kind of wrap it up. But I keep thinking, oh my god dang it, this is a, this is a really good one. Chapter 13, The Firebending Masters. Zuko tries to teach Aang on how to firebend, but has lost his own ability to bend. As he is no longer reliant on rage the previous source of his firebending toff suggests that they learned from the original source of firebending the mighty dragons the mighty dragons what the hell uh zuko angrily notes that the dragons no longer exist but the dragons first imparted their knowledge to the sun warriors a now extinct civilization who were the genesis of the fire nation zuko and aang in the aang, and the aang. <laughs> zuko and aang travel to the ru- to their ruins where Zuko discloses to the Fire Lord Sozen started. Sorry, Zuko discloses that Fire Lord Sozin started the tradition of hunting dragons for glory, and that the last one was killed by Iroh. After fa- after falling victim to a booby trap, Zuko and Aang discovers the tribe still exists. The pair each carry a sacred flame up the mountain to meet the two masters, Ron and Shaw the dragons, who turn out to be the pair of surviving dragons. Aang and Zuko perform the Dancing Dragon, with them accidentally losing their flames, a series of firebending forms carved as statues in the ruins. The fires deem them worthy and engulf them in a column of fire showing every color imaginable. Zuko and Aang realized that fire is energy and life, not just destruction. The Sun Warriors reveal that Iroh had lied about the extinction of the dragons after being the last outsider to them in order to protect the remaining members of the species from further hunts. Both Aang and Zuko begin to firebend, stronger and more skillfully than before. So I loved so much about this episode, just from the visual standpoint, I love seeing all of this, uh, the, the the last surviving dragons, Zuko and Aang finally are on some sort of page together, trying to work together, it's just like, this feels so cathartic in a way, I can't even explain it, (laughs) um, so yeah, I'm just like, wow, this is, this is quite incredible, so, from a visual standpoint absolutely blown away and then we hear the the chants from the uh the credits it's the um it's the sun warriors is the you know at the end of the uh, credits it's like that's the same chant that the dragons and the sun warriors had in in uh When they were being shown. So it's like holy Santa Claus. That was the thing the whole time. It was like uh, the revelation. I don't know. It's cool how they were able to bring in. Like a a narrative. Tonal melody. And make it. uh, Tie into a theme. I guess it's kind of like a. It is like a Game of Thrones thing. I mean they had the the title theme. Tie into something that actually happens in the show. Without being too spoilery. Um, Blown away absolutely blown away.